Welcome to the NS North Podcast. My name is Philip Kaskarin, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Dan Byers. How are you, Dan? Hey, Phil. How's it going? Pretty good. And you? Not too bad. Our guest tonight on the podcast is speaker Ish Shabazz. How are you, Ish? Good. How are you guys doing? Really good. Thanks for coming on tonight, Ish. Happy to be here. So welcome to NS North. Uh, we are super happy to have you. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do? Uh, sure. So my name is Ish. You'll find me a lot on Twitter under uh, iShabazz. Um, I'm an independent app developer for iOS. I've been developing apps for almost 10 years now. Um, start off with um, iOS 3 and have been doing it uh, ever since then. So although I am an independent uh, indie dev, it's not my my day job. I have a day job I go to, and then every spare moment outside of that, I'm working on something pretty much app-related. And you started uh, pretty much as the iPhone was coming out, because you say 10 years, and as we record this, the iPhone is barely more than 10 years old. Actually, it was when Steve Jobs stepped on stage with the iPad. Oh, there we and go. And I was thinking about, um, hmm... Can I justify getting this? <laughs> and I was thinking about, well, it depends on the apps that are there. And then I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I could just make the apps. And then I started from there. That's actually how I got my first iPod Touch for the same reasons. Like, oh, I want to write apps for this. Oh, cool. So what, what was your process for, uh, for learning the platform? So um, being kind of old school, I started off with um, with books. My very first book was... I think it was called like the iOS cookbook or something like that by Erica Sedan. Um, and I start with just kind of going through practice examples. And then there was this iTunes U course. Um, oh, yes. That was available. The Stanford? Stanford. Oh, yeah. CS193. Yeah, CS193P. And um, start trying to go through that. And yeah, at the time, there weren't tons of resources. So there were no YouTube videos. Um Cycle workflow had nothing, just Googling, there's nothing there. So very, very limited resources in the early days. Yeah, for sure. Well, what was the uh, proverbial itch that you were trying to scratch there? The uh, Did you have a particular solution in mind that you were working towards? You know, it's interesting. So when I first started, I had, um, so before the, the iPad, when the iPhone was out and the App Store came out, I was thinking... Wow, I have a little bit of a background in computer science. I hadn't done it in about a, a decade at that point. I'd gone to network engineering. And I thought, you know, I'd really like to make something, but I had no app ideas at all. And then um, right after the iPad came out, my very first idea was to make like a daily planner. Because I was kind of into planners at the time, like a Franklin Covey, like paper-based planner. Awesome. And I thought it'd be really neat to have a planner. Um, and then when I got into it, I realized I just had no idea how to make something that complex so i started uh more simply my very first app was a uh, pdf viewer because when the ipad came out at this nice big screen uh and to my surprise there was no like pdf viewer right. i was like wow what a waste it's like the perfect platform to view pdfs and no viewer right works. today we have ibooks but you know it didn't exist at the time right so you were among the first pdf viewers on the on the app store then yeah, uh, one of the first. My very first app, I actually got done, I think, in like a week or so. It was it was really fast to, to get out there. So is that because all the frameworks were there to to view PDFs? They were just not packaged into an app? Exactly. 
So then I just basically took those native frameworks and added them kind of like into a table view. So you can then just kind of like look, look at your list of PDFs and then tap the table view to view the PDF. And it. did you start using the page curl effect just because? So I really wanted the page curl effect. At that time, the page curl effect was not public. It was um, just an Apple private API. So it was a long time before I was able to do that. But here we are uh, more than nine years later, and you do have a planner, if I'm not mistaken. I do. I finally came around and made everything full circle. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, towards the end of December, I released an app called Capsicum, which is a daily planner. Um, and it, it's it's interesting because it's kind of my first app idea, but it's also the culmination of all of my experience with uh, developing apps and the app store and the process and marketing and all that all together in one project. So it's been kind of cool. And the fact that you're able to launch it, uh, working part-time on it, that's fantastic. Like th th that's a huge time commitment. Yeah. So basically just kept chipping away at it. Um, Heidi and I worked on it for just about three years, three years. Wow. Excellent. That, yeah. And, and who's Heidi? Heidi is a designer I work with in Australia. Um, I actually met her through one of my other apps. I made a dream journal back in, I think it was 2011. And um, we got a customer support email where um, she had kind of taken screenshots of all the screens and marked up every place that anything was just a little bit off or a pixel without a place <laughs> and like red ink and had this like professional like document that she's like, here are all your problems. I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's like you're hired. <laughs> I need to work with you. Yeah. So um, we've been friends since then. And um, we start working together in earnest uh, when we start working on um, Capsicum. In the meantime, we put out a couple other products. So we put out uh, a sticker pack called Stamp Pack, which is a bunch of these fun little red stamps you can um, kind of add to iMessages and such. And then we made a um, language translator called Boomerang, which basically what that does this double translation. So say you want to convert something to French, but you don't really speak French. So when you put in the bit of text to convert, it shows you what the translation is in French, but then converts it back to your original language. So you see just in case something's a little bit off, you can kind of get, get an idea before you uh, embarrass yourself. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. There's so many times I try to do a translation to French. I'm like, eh, how close is that really working? <laughs> right. And and do you find that that uh, that uh, those translations are are useful and not just hilarious? Because that's typically what they do, right? They translate things back into into the your native language, and then it's just a a super funny uh, game to play. <laughs> <laughs> right. So language is kind of complicated. <clears throat> so that won't give you an exact translation back, but it gets you in the ballpark. Right. If sudden, if you were asking about the soup, but then you get something back about someone's mom, you're like, you know, that's probably man could like change a word or something like that. To <laughs> maybe clean this up, make it less ambiguous. Yeah, it's like, for example, if you take the 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 uh, the movie Christmas Vacation, right, which we all know and and love mm -hmm. and is a Christmas staple around many many houses. Well, if you were to translate that that movie title in French and back to English, it would be called The Tree Has Balls. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> See? See? Yeah. You got to really watch out for that. So just to uh, to backtrack a little bit, what, what what is your day job? So my day job is network engineering. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 
for a, a big telecom, I guess, or actually for a community college. I work at Santa Monica College, and I support the uh, the network infrastructure there. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah. So this is a, a, a nice change in in subject matter and pace for from your day job. Then I can, I can see how that works out. It is. It's separate, and I kind of like it that way. I think because iOS stuff is my passion, it's it's important to kind of separate your passion work from your work work because there are times that the only reason I'm moving forward is because I love this. And if I'm working on things I don't love, I wouldn't be able to have the same like passion for it and I'd start to despise it a little bit. So it's good to have something that I completely love and I'm working for myself, basically. Like I'm getting to decide... Um, what I work on and when, and I bet that the network, I bet that the network in your house is top notch. So <laughs> it, it's all right; it's pretty good. <laughs> I used to have a, a, a rack, like a Chatsworth rack, like a four post rack, and eventually, I was like you know what, I'm I'm just running up the power bill for nothing. Let me calm down and. Do <laughs> you probably have a wiring closet and all these things that uh, most people don't have. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because one time one of the local carriers were, they were coming by to kind of sell me get me to change networks, right? And they gave me, like, their standard spiel. So I started asking them all those, these questions and stuff. And they're like, whoa, what do you do? <laughs> Would you come work for us? I'm like, yeah. I know a thing or two. So I guess um, is, is the ultimate goal to go full-time at some point? You know what? At one point in time, um, I had that dream. And actually... <clears throat> Um, a couple of years back, um, I was fortunate enough to be in a documentary called App, the Human Story. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. And in that documentary, um, uh, Jake Schumacher kind of uh, followed a part of my journey. And this was a part of my journey after um, gaining some App Store success. Early, early into um, my time as a developer, probably 2011, 2012. Um, a friend and I made an app called My Daily Journal, and it ended up doing really, really well. It did well enough that it was starting to match my day job salary. Oh, excellent. And my wife, who was working at the time, I was like, you know, um, if this continues on, we'll see how it goes. But if it continues on, you can probably quit your job. And then sure enough, about a, about a year solid of that kind of success. Um, we made plans and she quit her job. Um, that's when we, uh, planned our third child and we, um, kind of moved to a nicer place and all this. And a few months after that, the app store went through some changes and then slowly that started to kind of, kind of change. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you got a hard lesson in app store economics, I guess. I did. I did. Got it. Got it real close. I was like so close. I was really close to being able to. Um, be fully sustainable just on that income. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much went all the way down to a... Um, it went from you could live on this to you could have yeah. a nice meal on this. And that's that was, I'm guessing it was a, a paid-for app. Like you pay for the app once and you have it forever. Right, paid up front. So that was one of the things I learned, right? So in the early days, I wasn't thinking at all about the future. I was really only just trying to make something cool and share it with the world. Um, later on, I realized that that's something cool after five, seven years, it's no longer sustainable. So if someone paid five years ago, 99 cents or 99, 
in seven years, that $1.99 is gone. And you're basically just looking for new customers. But after that many years of that much success, like you've kind of already gotten your pool for the most part. So there's a limited resource pool of customers. And eventually you can end up upside down. And then it costs more money to keep the app maintained um, than the money that's coming in, which is sad. And what would you say... Is it was it easy to pinpoint to that that as a particular factor? Like, what what was the biggest change from the App Store perspective that caused this? I I think there were multiple factors, but the biggest one um, was discovery. So early on, we were one of the way that people would find apps would just look at the top lists, and in the top lists, we were. Um, for journals, we were like number one, number two. It was like us in day one. And then um, in productivity, we were often in like the top 20, which is basically you barely have to, at the time, you barely have to scroll to, to see it. So you just go to productivity and then. Yeah, it's are. a nice spot to be in. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot of eyes looking at it. And then the App Store went through a redesign and they went from lists to cards. And they did cards where you would swipe would look kind of cool, the card, and give you more information about a particular app. But the problem is not seeing like a fluid scrollable list of a screen of 12 or more at a time. Yeah, A person's only going to swipe two or three times and they're done. They're not going to swipe, 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 swipe. Yeah. And eventually that lack of visibility just made it, um, it really, it, we had a really strong decline in a number of customers for example during that year 2011 let's say we would get a minimum of 250 new customers a day yeah for a paid upfront app which is pretty good fast forward a couple years later we're looking at maybe five to ten customers a day oh that's terrible and then that dropped from there so yeah Yeah. just being visible they really really big difference so what did you do to uh, do marketing outside of the App Store? Because obviously App Store doesn't do marketing for you anymore. Right. So at the time, uh, nothing. I had I had <laughs> no idea what I was doing. And honestly, the success was a bit of a surprise. Um, we put it out there. Just like, all right, let's just do our best and see what happens. And then slowly but surely it took off and just became like really sustainable after a while. And there was a lot of like word of mouth. Um, people just kind of enjoying it and then sharing with friends and such. Um, yeah, the marketing is honestly an area that I still struggle with a little bit. Um, I have more insight in it, but it's still like one of the tougher areas because it's a very different arena, very different um, skill set than development or design. Yeah, join join the club. <laughs> it's uh, It's not an easy, yeah, for sure. Huh. And so it's, we just, this new, the, the latest app that you have, is it primarily, or is it, does it work best as a tablet um, or, uh, or is it fairly well suited for the universal uh, usage? In the end, it'll be more robust on the tablet, but in this current iteration, uh, version one that we have, it's equal between the uh, phone and the iPad. Because as I was speaking today, um, we have not implemented pencil support yet. Okay. Which is uh, my big wish list item is to have pencil support so that folks can just doodle in the margins if they want, um, take notes, etc. Yeah. And 
Again, as we speak today, there's no iPhone with pencil support. In the future, that might change. Um, at that point, it'd be equal again. But once we get to the pencil support out, which is hopefully later this year, um, yeah, then the iPad will be a little bit nicer. So, you, so your app obviously syncs between the phone and the iPad. Do you have any more targets that people can sync to, like web or Mac or Windows or something? Um, in the works. So right now, just iOS. Um, later on this year, Apple is going to tell us the plan for running iOS apps on macOS. So we're waiting to hear what that's like until we, um, before we make a decision. We don't want to do a whole bunch of work and then like realize, oh, we should have gone <laughs> left when we went right. So waiting to hear about that. Yeah. You should make an Electron app. That's easy, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, so I hear. And speaking of web, so, um, and eventually we'd like to do, um, uh, make it cross-platform so it also works on the web, which is one of the a tough things for me, right? So in Capsicum, we actually recommend that folks create an account. I absolutely hate accounts. I do not like accounts. So we avoid it until like the last minute, but we recommend that folks do make an account because later on um, when we have like a web client, the, really the only way to have a web client sync with your data is through an account. So it's just easier to get that out of the way. So So it is optional right now then, or... It is optional right now. Yeah. Oh, very good. It's strongly encouraged if you, because the, the thing I really don't want to do is have someone like get all the data on their device and then they don't have iCloud. If they have iCloud, no problem, but if they don't have iCloud and then they get a new device yeah. and then just expect the data, I'm like, well, you need an yeah. account or a backup or something. So, yeah. 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 My, my data migration is uh, not trivial. <laughs> It is not. So I wanted to uh, avoid that. It's an interesting thing. I tried to require um, an account before getting a subscription. Because basically, if your data is not super safe, I don't want your money. I want to make sure your data is safe first. Awesome. But apparently that violates an app store rule. Really? Yeah, I was shocked. They said um, in the rejection, while we understand one of our requirements is that any data, if you have a subscription data must be available on all devices oh. you cannot require account creation to fulfill that oh, okay and i was like whoa well i'm doing it for the customer benefit though like i'm not doing it to be yeah um, nefarious or doing it to be annoying i'm doing it because i want your data to be safe like i want you to create an account so that you know um how to get your stuff back but oh, i never yeah so actually yeah they do not allow that Interesting. So you can't you can't lock them in, huh? Yeah, I can't force an account creation. Which I was like, wait a minute, doesn't Netflix require an account? Doesn't HBO? Yeah, require I, an account? I wonder if there's some flexibility yeah. there if you already have a subscription slash account based service already in in play. Yeah, or if you're big enough, probably right. You know. <laughs> if I were Netflix, I probably would not get rejected. <laughs> probably yeah. more a size thing. Yeah. Likely, yeah. very likely. Huh. So, so we've talked about your 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 passion, your day job a little bit, and then uh, so what do you do when you're not working on your passion or your or at your day job? That's a really good question. That's basically what I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> only so many hours in a day. Um, but when I can, I basically I try to help people um, get to whatever their goals are, whether that's through mentoring with uh, code things or just personal, just life things. Kind of like a um, an amateur life coach. Basically, I, I just like helping people um, achieve their goals. Oh, that's awesome! So, Very good. 
I do that for fun. And and of course, you spend time with your family. And yeah, you get to see every, every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Ish, and thanks for uh, being uh, on the podcast with us tonight. Absolutely. So we look forward to seeing you in Montreal at the end of April, and we encourage all our listeners to go and visit the site nsnorth.ca for uh, all information about the conference. It's going to be April 26th to the 28th, 2019, in beautiful Montreal, Quebec. Um, you can find tickets uh, on that website as well, and uh, you'll have more information about Ish and all the other speakers that we have at the conference uh, on the site. So uh, once again, thank you, Dan, for uh, tonight. Thanks, Phil. Thank you so much for joining us, Ish. Thank you. It's great chatting with you. Absolutely. And we will see you next time.